Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for October 31st. I'm your host, Stanley Hill. This week, we talked to Jeremy Bemis of Bemis Honey Bee Farm and Supplies and the Bemis Tree Farm about his family's growing business in Pulaski County. And we hear from this year's Arkansas Tree Farmer of the Year. We also talked to Arkansas Farm Bureau's Jessica Clouser Burkham about new regulations for industrial hemp production just released by the United States Department of Agriculture. First, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Ken Moore talks to Jeremy Bemis, who grew up on his family's tree farm near the southern Pulaski County town of Wrightsville. A brief venture into growing pumpkins and Christmas trees led to development of Bemis Honeybee Farm, which Jeremy and his wife Emily operate. Established in 2012, the bee farm now features one of the largest stores for beekeeping equipment in the state and has become a destination for beekeepers across Arkansas and neighboring states. I'm Ken Moore, and today I'm visiting with Jeremy and Emily Bemis out here in southern Pulaski County on their family farm. It's known as Bemis Family Farms, and it's a, uh, it's a diverse operation out here. Tracy and Donna Bemis. Uh, Tracy runs the Bemis Tree Farm, if you will, and stump removal and tree removal, tree transplantation, Jeremy, if you will. I've uh, covered and worked with Tracy before on uh, as he uh, relocates trees for people for whatever reason, and, and you have one of the few uh, tree transplanting businesses in the whole state of Arkansas. But today we're going to be talking about the bee farm and, and you and Emily and your involvement in that. So kind of Jeremy, just going to give me a little, from the beginning, when did you guys first realize that, you know, how big beekeeping could be? It's growing in popularity. Uh, You've established uh, an annual, I think you do it twice a year, the annual bee days out here on the farm. And I will mention that their farm, uh, for your information, those listening to us, is located out here in the Wrightsville community in southern Pulaski County. You can just Google Bemis bee farm and uh, find the directions out here to the farm it's easy to get to but anyway jeremy when did you guys first realize that this could be a very profitable venture and something you wanted to pursue well i'm not sure if we've figured out the profitable part yet uh, but we uh, i guess it's been almost seven years ago now uh, we bought the property behind us and we were actually wanting to do uh, christmas trees and pumpkins okay. so in trying to figure out how to do all of that uh, the pumpkins, we were trying to figure out how to do pollination because that's the number one reason why we need, um, you, you have trouble growing pumpkins is not enough pollinators. So we somehow got into bees uh, for pollination to do our own pollination. And uh, there wasn't really anywhere close to us that sold supplies or classes or anything like that. Uh, so we had a very hard time uh, figuring out what we were doing and how to keep the bees alive. Uh, there was a few classes around. The extension office has started doing a bunch since then, but that was they, they still weren't doing a whole lot. Um, so we decided that we would start selling supplies, and uh, education was our biggest goal uh, when we started. So by the next year, we were selling supplies, and we had a few classes, and that's kind of what started the events. So B-Day is our uh, spring event, so that's usually towards the end of April, and that is the pickup day for all the bees that we sell. So if you buy bees from us or come to the classes or anything like that, uh, it's kind of the 
uh, kind of the end of the class section, you could say, and then the start of you being a beekeeper. Um, so on that day, you can pick up your bees. We go through all the different things that we think you might need to know to take your bees home and uh, hopefully successfully get them started in the hive and, and go from there. And then as you go through the year, hopefully your bees have grown and uh, made honey. So the honey festival, so it's the Arkansas Honey Festival, it's uh, usually the first Saturday in October. Um, so the goal behind that was, okay, now it's time to pull all your honey. Uh, we have a honey contest, so anybody in the state can enter honey into the honey contest. Um, so everybody that comes out can try all the different types of honey. Um, so it's kind of the fruit of the labors for the year. Um, so we, we go through how to extract all the honey, uh, show people that aren't beekeepers how to extract the honey. Um, we have uh, classes on exactly how honey is made. Uh, creamed honey is very popular, so we go through how that's actually made and how the bees do it and how we help with it. And um, and then we go through the mites. The mites are a huge issue with oh, the yeah. bees right now. Sure. Um, so we go through how to treat for them and what they are and what to do with them. Um, the last couple of years, we've had a beer, so we have some talks on how honey beer is made and mead, which is like a honey wine. Um, so basically all the things you can do with honey and the products from the hive, um, that's kind of what the honey festival is. It's it's kind of the, the back end of things to, to get you ready for the winter and uh, sure. hopefully the next year into beekeeping. Emily, uh, what's your role in all of this with uh, with Jeremy and, as, and the family? You're running the store, I know, and... Uh, how exciting is it for you to be a part of this family business? So I will say one of Jeremy's goals was to um, continue the family farm. It was not my goal to work on the family farm. Um, so one day he told me that we were starting bees and um, that I was going to learn a little bit and how to help. I was a little leery, didn't really want to get into it. Um, but the more I got around them, I realized how just how amazing the bees are and how interesting they are. And so at that point, we decided we're going to start selling supplies, and it was my job to learn everything I can about selling supplies. And so I'm in charge of the bee store. I'm in charge of selling supplies, helping the beekeepers, helping the new beekeepers to figure out what they need. Um, And then I also do another part of our um, business where we do the screen printing and embroidery, and so I do all the artwork for that. Okay. Is that fun? I mean, have you learned kind of do it and your interaction with the the customer? How, How busy have you guys become out here, people locating where you are? Oh, yes, yeah. Um, in the spring and in the fall, we stay pretty busy. Um, winter is a good time to build up and get ready for the spring. And then the summer, once it's pretty hot, um, we get a little slow then just because nobody wants to be out in the bee yard when it's that hot. Yeah. you got to have supplies if you're going to become a beekeeper. And, uh, and just talk about the process of harvesting the honey and, and how people can do that and, and make it an enjoyable family pastime. It's not as scary as everybody thinks. The The first time, people are always nervous, and that's one thing we've tried doing with all of our classes is we try to go get you in the bees um, so you can you can sign up for a class and, and come out, and we can put you in a suit and let you go get your hands in the bees. Um, people are always nervous, so whenever we first go out there, you can always there's always a pretty good distance in between them and the hive, um, but the longer we're out there and the more we talk, just everybody kind of gets a little closer and a little closer, and then next thing you know, they're holding frames of bees. Um, so it, it's a crazy feeling to, to have that. Um, the benefits of having true raw honey, it's in your area. You get the health benefits, and uh, you do get minute amounts of pollen mixed in with the honey, so it can help with your allergies. 
you really don't get stung much. Everybody's always afraid of getting stung. You're going to get stung a little bit. Uh, most people think they're allergic to bees, but it's really a very small percentage of people are actually actually allergic to bees. Uh, they think they, they're allergic to wasps and yellow jackets and all that, but the, the sting and the venom is completely different from the bee. So just because you're allergic to all that other stuff doesn't mean you're allergic to bees. Um, so e even as you're extracting honey, like you said, you can smoke them and it, it's they, they, they're pretty docile. Um, and we try to keep docile bees also, which makes a difference. There, there are bees that are more aggressive, so that's a choice if you want those more aggressive bees. I mean, there is different types of bees. Everybody thinks we just have the honey bee, but uh, we have several different uh, strains, I guess you could say, of bees. We have Italian and Russian, and um, there, there's a lot of different kinds. So the, the Italian is what we always push new people to get started with. They're they're much more docile. They're, they're kind of the picturesque bee that you always see pictures of. They're the nice yellow uh, the bright bee, um, so they're they're very easy to to work and deal with. Good. For a farm to be profitable, really diversity. We've talked about that. Whatever the commodity might be, uh, out here, how important is it for you guys to diversify away from just the trees that you grow? Well, that's part of kind of what started everything. Um, with the tree farm, uh, that's I don't want to say our bread and butter, but that's kind of what we do every day. Is we all got to go try to plant trees. Uh, but in the springtime and the, and the fall is when you predominantly move trees. In the winter, it's we could have a very wet winter. And um, like that year we had Katrina and Ike, there was so much water on the ground, you couldn't even step foot in the fields because there was so much water. Uh, and then you get in the summer when it's 110 degrees for, for a week straight, it, you just keep, the ground gets so hard you can't even hardly dig a hole in the ground. Um, wow. So when you have a few months on each side of the, of the season that you can't do a whole lot, then you, you've got to – the, the bank still wants a check at the end of every month. So sure. um, so yeah. that's kind of what got us into the stump grinding. Uh, that was just something that kind of went along with planting trees. Um, a storm comes through, the tree cutters come in, they cut the trees down, and a lot of times there's a stump left, and they want to put a tree back in. Um, so that kind of went hand-in-hand hand with us. Um, the bee store, it was something we could do in the winter. Um, so like, like Emily said, the winter is the time that you really want to get built up. So that's when we do most of our classes. Uh, we build as much woodenware here as we can. We don't build everything. Uh, but we've actually started sourcing Arkansas trees that have been milled in Arkansas. Um, so some of the stuff you get here is Arkansas grown, you could say, sure. and Arkansas made. Yeah. Um, so that, that worked well in the winter. So spring is busy very busy with the bees coming in and getting started with all that. Um, and then uh, Emily's our designer, so she has all sorts of T-shirt designs and things like that. So somehow we ended up, uh, we do screen printing and embroidery, um, so we can do a lot of that kind of during the summer and um, when school's out and people are doing various projects and things like that. And when school gets going again, then that's a busy time for printing shirts. Yeah. So And that way we can print all of our own shirts and all of our own designs and um, it, it just went, it just kind of goes well with everything else we're doing. And you have different sources of revenue through all of it, through the entire enterprise. Emily, I know you've been involved with the Pulaski County Farm Bureau uh, Women's Committee uh, serving there, and that's all about educating young people, children in the schools and what have you through the Ag in the Class programs. When you have your bee day or your honey day in the fall out here, you, you invite school groups out, and I've seen, you know, children out here learning uh, how important is it to educate them about how important it is just about bees and pollination? Have you enjoyed kind of helping educate them about what you guys do? Yes. So actually one of my second degrees in um, college is early childhood education. So it's very important to me. I love having a huge children's book um, area in our store. And then on like, Bee Day and the Honey Festival, we have a children's area. And so we make sure we have plenty 
of um, information out there and crafts that are educational, not just like coloring sheets, but they have information on there. And then we also try to do like a tie-dye booth area so they have something to take away from the event, but it's memorable. Um, and then it's just important to get them started and interested in bees because they are our future beekeepers. And then we need the beekeepers, we need the bees um, for the crops and for the other farmers to do well. So I think it's very important. And then a lot of times, um, I actually had a customer earlier today, their whole family got started in bees because their daughter was interested in it. And she actually passed away. Um, but since she has such a huge interest in it, her family continued on and they're making a huge, um, they're starting to grow their apiary and they're really excited about it. And it's just kind of like her memory living on um, through, through them and her bees. And so it's just kind of an, an awesome experience. What's the future? And how big is this getting uh, here in Arkansas? Uh, it, it seems to grow every year. Our customer base seems to grow every year. Um, like we said, our events that we have uh, grow every year. So we had almost 1,500 people at our last event, uh, the Honey Festival, just, just a few weeks ago. And um, I, it doesn't seem to be slowing down. They, they just named, um, I didn't catch who named them, but the, uh, the honeybee has been named probably the most important uh, organism in the world. Wow. I think it was, um, I think it was through National Geographic. Uh, but anyway, um, I, they, I don't think it's slowing down any. There, there's always people wanting to get in. Just the, the biggest thing you can do is take some classes and, and be educated. Uh, it's not, bees have been around for forever, and they, they can go out there and survive on their own. But uh, with the pests and the diseases and things that we have that have come in the last few years, uh, we we need educated beekeepers that know what they're doing and know how to help take care of these pests to keep healthy bees. And with that in mind, and we've done some reporting on this in the past, but for the benefit of our listeners who, who may not be aware, you mentioned the mites earlier. Uh, the varroa mite, I know, was a problem. And, and, and then you had the uh, disappearance of, of the bees. I mean, bees just disappeared, you know, uh, several years ago out of a lot of the colonies. And we couldn't really determine exactly why, but we assumed it was because of mite uh, infestations or what have you. Has that kind of been, have you learned how to protect your colonies and your bees from these uh, destructive mites now? And are we still seeing the disappearance that we saw like five and six years ago? It's still pretty heavy. Um, now, it's it's not as bad as it was. I think it was a little longer than six years ago that we had the huge losses. Um, beekeeping is on the rise. There are more bees in the country, um, mainly because of backyard beekeepers getting involved. Uh, the mites are a constant battle. Um, uh, there's all sorts of new information. Uh, we had one guy out a couple of years ago to beat a uh, Dr. Sam Ramsey, and um, his research was, I don't want to say cutting edge, but basically he said everything we know about mites is false, and this is what it is. And um, he actually proved it through some research. So we're, everything's kind of been stepped back to what we know about mites, so they're kind of going through that process again. Um, they're just they're a lot worse than what we think. Um, pesticides always catch the huge brunt of uh, killing bees, and uh, it's mites is what is what's killing our bees. Pesticides aren't the best for bees, but um, I, I would say we're losing bees 100 to 1 from mites to pesticides versus the other way around. Um, so it, it's a big problem. We, we do have to take care of it. 
um, that's where the educated beekeeper comes in. Um, we're, we're in the whole organic movement, and I don't want to talk bad about the organic movement, but there's a lot of people that aren't wanting to use the chemicals that fight mites. Um, but now the new thing they found is that they call them a varroa bomb, and basically a hive that has not been taken care of or treated for mites. Um, the hive will go down, like you said, the hive will just disappear. What they found is a lot of those bees actually completely vacate the hive and they go into other hives that are around them um, because there's not enough resources in that hive. So they all just leave. Um, so they take all the mites with them and then they all go into all the surrounding hives around them. So they've, they've made that, they've called, they're calling that a varroa bomb. Um, and basically they're just releasing a whole bunch more varroa mites out into all the other hives. Um, so it's every day it seems to be something new with the bees, but I mean, we just do what we can to. Um, keep healthy bees and keep sure. them alive. I think that term I, it was escaping my memory a second ago was colony collapse disorder. And that was something that was big, as you said, could be more than 10 years ago now. It's been around for a while, but still a problem, you know. And so you, that's one thing you guys can do uh, on your bee days is train. It's all about education, and it's all about getting the right tools to protect your colony, to protect your hives and your bees so that you won't lose them. Emily, what's the future for you guys? I mean, it's growing, and uh, how can people learn more about, I said earlier, they can Google Bemis uh, Bee Farm and, and get some information from you guys, but uh, what do you tell people, and, and how are you promoting yourselves, and then uh, just making the farm out here a destination for backyard beekeepers? Yes, yeah, so um, our plan is to continue the tradition of our family farm and raise up our son and hopefully other future children um, to continue the farm, and maybe our niece or nephew. Um but to find us, you can search um, BemisHoneybeeFarm.com or Bemis Family Farms. We're also on Facebook um, under Bemis Honeybee Farm and the Arkansas Honey Festival. Um, so any one of those um, avenues will take you to us and help help you to find us. Um, and but yeah, we are becoming a destination, especially in the spring and the fall, for those large events for people who are interested in bees. Um, it's it's becoming quite a fun event. Listen, Jeremy and Emily, thanks for visiting with us today. Been visiting with uh, Jeremy and Emily Bemis on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Next, Ken talks to Billy Hobson, who along with her sister Flossie Barker and their children are continuing a family legacy as Arkansas Tree Farmer of the Year. Though they now live in Texas and Alabama, the sisters were raised in the Princeton community of Dallas County, where their father, G. William Smith, homesteaded property in 1911. The 360-acre track is the oldest certified tree farm in Arkansas, and the sisters have someone managing it for their future generations. I'm Ken Moore on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. I'm visiting with Mrs. Billy Hobson of Austin, Texas, and Mrs. Hobson is part of the G. William Smith family that was recognized in early October by the Arkansas Forestry Association as having the Arkansas Tree Farm of the Year. And Mrs. Hobson, thank you for visiting with us uh, just for a few minutes here from your home in Austin. Congratulations on that recognition. If you will, tell us uh, a little bit about your family history. Though you live in Austin, Texas now and your sister lives out of state, your family still owns this property in Dallas County, which is uh, near the Fordyce community in Arkansas. And uh, this is actually, as I understand it, the oldest running uh, tree farm in Arkansas, certified tree farm in Arkansas. Tell us about your family history, how you homesteaded that property, and how you came to receive this recognition, please. 
I surely will. We're very excited about it. Uh, I think it has also, uh, they researched it and found it's the third oldest in the nation, which is what's very uh, surprising to us. We did not realize that until a few weeks ago. Um, my grandmother in 1911, Rena Benson Smith now, was uh, homesteaded 40 acres at on this property in, at Princeton. She had two younger brothers, and the, the three of them lived on the land. She married and uh, had my father, G. William Smith, later on, uh, who came also to live. She and my dad came back to live on the farm with the two brothers, and my father was raised there. I can remember as a child going out there and seeing the trees and being on the farm, which at that time was self-sufficient, and she made butter, all the things that, that you hear of, which gave my sister Flossie and I and our family a chance to experience this. I grew up in Arkansas, graduated from Pine Bluff. Uh, this, my father was a minister of uh, Although in the beginning, he wanted to be a forester. He went to college for a couple of years at Russellville, but then he decided he was called to preach. And so that is what he did in Arkansas. We were in several places. And ministers at that time did not make a great deal of money. And I can remember them talking about the trees, and they would cut, this was like late 50s, they, my uncles and my grandmother would cut a little of the land at that time. Probably the, that was the first time, the trees, and it provided money to help to pay tuition for the children to go to college, which was very big in our life. I don't think we really realized it until we began to think of the story that is attached to all this and to the, to the land. We, in, we inherited the land along with our children. My sister has a daughter, and I have a son, and they are already talking to their children about the land and what it will mean to us and what it does mean to us. It's history. We talk to them about all the things that went on out there. My father, at 12 years old, helped to build a house, which later was cut in two and moved to town and is still there in Fordyce. There are so many things, and we had a tour of the land uh, about a week ago, and I was amazed at the things that I learned. It is this land has not been trees have not been planted; they've grown from the seeds that were there, and this has made a different kind of uh, environment, which I still do not understand a lot about. It would not begin to talk about but they did tell us that at that time and so there are different birds there than a lot of places there are not a huge number of tree farms that are managed in this way we have had a, a manager through the years uh, someone with my parents uh, got to help us manage it and they had belonged to the tree farm association I can remember hearing my dad talking about that and how important it was to him and so we certainly wanted to continue that when our mother died and we needed that um, education to find out and so we started last year going uh, or two years ago going to the association meetings and it has been very interesting to us 
Our children are very interested, and of course, they're adults with their children, and they want to come back uh, periodically and and learn about it too and the environment. Um, I have a granddaughter that's majoring in um, natural resources, uh, and the other children are very interested, which which we feel like is very important to the future of our not just Arkansas, but in our country. And so we're really excited for the opportunity to use this family land and its history to keep our children and our families engaged. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Now, how many acres does uh, the tree farm encompass? How large is the tract? And uh, if you will, just kind of talk about who you have retained now to help manage it and keep it going now that you've moved away. Um, we are at this point. Um, we have we had a a gentleman that has managed it, Freddie Musgrove, and before that it was Georgia Pacific, and um, so uh, they have continually managed it, and up until this time, and we appreciate so very much their managing. They did it with our mother. Uh, and Farm Bureau, I will have to say, Farm Bureau was something that was mentioned a lot when I was younger and my dad and my mother went back to Fordyce in 78 to retire there. And they, I don't, you know, I don't know all the history of Farm Bureau like you do, but I know it was something that was very important to them. I know they researched uh, all kinds of issues, and I, I know they still do to some extent. Um, and that was very important to him to have their knowledge and the things that that the information that they would give. And this, I, I don't know when they came into being, but I can remember as a young child hearing about the Farm Bureau. My uncle also, I, I think maybe they had um, boards or something that were very local they would do things, but, you know, you would know much more about that than I do. But that was something that also was very educational at that time when I was growing up. And um, so that's, you know, that's kind of the things that uh, have been important to us, the things that we have been connected with as children and and now as adults and now as grandparents. So... Uh, we're very excited about all that. Again, how large attractive land is it? Do you know? Large. I'm sorry. I am sorry. Keep asking me. Uh, it's 360 acres. I, I don't know at what point they bought more land, but my sister and I together own 360 acres. So it's it's um, now it, it's something that we're very proud of, but it's certainly not. I'm sure the it's not the biggest tree farm in the you know in the world. I, I will say something else too that has been really significant. There are many people that my father grew up with, families that they grew up with, and and I laughed and said there was a Methodist church and a Baptist church, from what I heard, and everybody went to both of them because I think they only met about once a month. And they needed that socialization, so they really didn't care where they were going to church as long as they could meet together. And there were a lot of the families I heard of from my parents, and I would hear from my uh, grandmother and uncle, great uncles, 
and I met many of them when I was a little girl and a little older growing up. And there's been uh, one man in particular that's of our generation, a man named Rupert Rogers, who has land out there, as do many others. And his family grew up with my my family, and he helped in um, helping people with you know to see the tree farm. He still has land out there and he has a hunting lease that is right next to ours and that is a very good thing because they we are not living on the land and that you know there are people watching out that care and that we have connection with from the time our father was little and that's something you don't really think about is it also keeps people connected with history and that has been a real gift to us to get to be around some of the people that were out there, but especially him, uh, because he lives close out there. And he has come back after uh, working as an engineer to come back out there 20 years ago to to live out there. And he has a grandson that's interested in the forest. And then he has another son that lives far away that is also interested. But I think that there are things that are coming from this that you never even suspect when you begin to join the association and begin to ask questions and be told history. And it's it's been an ongoing process that's really pretty phenomenal for us. And uh, just the future. I mean, it's the future. And that's what's exciting, too. It's not just history. It's the future. Indeed. Indeed it is. And, uh, of course, to qualify uh, for this recognition, the uh, Forest Stewardship Plan, uh, you developed a comprehensive plan. Uh, and uh, and this is important to uh, continue the, the heritage and the legacy that you've created here in Dallas County. But that's, uh, you know, you have to be recognized as a certified tree farm, and, and, and the Forestry Association has that criteria. But it's all about forest management, forest stewardship, and the fact that you see this as a valuable resource that needs to be maintained, don't you? It is, and they have so much. I I couldn't even begin to tell you right now because we're still getting it in our head, all of the help that the Forestry Association and the Tree Farm Association has uh, that, that they can help us with, and there's they're very excited about helping us. I mean, they come forward and, and ask, and and they have helped us also with a future management plan. And I will say I contacted the Texas Forestry Association that's just around uh, East Texas and here, and, you know, they were excited. I just wanted them to know and um, to ask, you know, what, what, uh, how we could tie them together. And the interesting thing is that the people with the state association are very familiar. They talk a lot with the people from the surrounding states. They knew them by name. So there's a lot of connection there that, that none of us ever think about. Well, what are your future plans now, uh, Ms. Hobson, uh, for the for the property? I guess you're just going to uh, let it continue on, pass it down to uh, your children, as you say, and, and grandchildren, so that the 
the Smith family can continue to have this and uh, and protect it for future generations. Yes, we will. And it will be a way for our families to gather together. We have uh, one son. Uh, my son is in uh, Texas in the Fort Worth area. My sister lives in Auburn, Alabama, and her daughter is in Vermont. So it will be a place where at least annually we plan to come. Their children are already very interested in it. My sister was telling me today she's visiting her six-year-old granddaughter, and that she mentioned to her she gave her some more things that we had gotten together for the tour and explained to her about the trees and the tree farm and that it would be her someday. I've talked to my granddaughter that's in college and is interested in natural resources and other things, and they're very excited to, you know, this is a time when they, you know, it becomes a part of them, and and not just our tree farm, but they realize how important it is to maintain and take care of the, you know, what we have that's so precious. Not just us, but all of us, the world. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Stewardship of of our natural resources is so very very important. And within the forestry industry, uh, this is also very critical for, for proper management of uh, this natural resource. Well, congratulations on this recognition that you received here just recently and, and your family uh, history down there in Dallas County. We're, we're proud to know about that and learn about it. And, and it sounds like it's going to be a wonderful opportunity over time to to return to Dallas County to the Princeton area and have a family reunion, don't you think? And just uh, remember the good old days. Yes, that's our plan. <laughs> that's part of our sustainability. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. I've been speaking. I've been speaking with uh, Mrs. Billy Hobson, uh, whose family, the G. William Smith family, was recognized as Tree Farmer of the Year earlier in October, and it's been my pleasure to visit with her on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Finally, Keith Sutton interviews Arkansas Farm Bureau's new Director of Policy Development and Legislative Research, Jessica Clouser-Burkham. She provides some details about new USDA regulations for growing industrial hemp. Welcome to AgCast, Jessica. Thank you. We want to talk a little bit today about hemp regulations. Just this week, uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture released some new regulations regarding hemp production. Uh, It's something that uh, a lot of farmers, uh, even here in Arkansas, have been waiting to see because uh, some folks would like to diversify their operations some and maybe start growing a new crop. First of all, tell people a little bit, if you can, about, about hemp and most of us think of that as being marijuana. But sure. here, here in Arkansas, the hemp that's being raised on our farms is used in ways other than uh, we th- traditionally think of marijuana. Absolutely. So we're going to back up to the 2014 Farm Bill because in in that piece of legislation, it allowed for institutions of higher education and state ag departments to grow hemp under a pilot program. So that pretty much initiated uh, what we're seeing now. 
The 2018 Farm Bill went a few steps further in legalizing industrial hemp by removing it from the Controlled Substances Act. Um, when we think about hemp, as you noted, we typically think marijuana, but industrial hemp can be used for CBD oil, which is really popular right now. Uh, we have folks that are looking at feed and fodder and bedding. Um, and those are all products that have a 0.3% or lower in THC. So that's really the big ticket item is the THC content to determine if it's industrial hemp or if it's marijuana. So THC, for people who don't know, that's the active ingredient in marijuana that gets people high. Yes. So yes. industrial <laughs> hemp doesn't have any more than 0.3% of that, so it doesn't get people high. Right, you're not going to so, have a whole lot of fun so on that, industrial hemp. <laughs> so that's the key, is uh, is that the government's hoping to keep that THC level low as part of all of this, is that right? Yes, yes. So um, today in the Federal Register, USDA published the interim final rule for the 2018 Farm Bill provisions, and it's... Um, is a way to expedite the rulemaking process so our producers are ready for the 2020 growing season and can have access to things like crop insurance. So it does, a ser it does several things in, a, in, in addressing the big ticket items. That includes uh, a standardized test process for THC um, it provides additional guidance for that testing uh, sampling that needs to occur for DEA-approved agents. It also looks at the interstate commerce piece. Hemp is not legal in all 50 states. There are four states that it is not legal. However, this is a federal, federal law, federal guidance, and therefore it is legal to transport hemp over state lines period, whether it is legal to grow hemp in that state or not. Takes another look at the banking and financing piece. That's been a really big concern um, as producers try and figure out how to finance these hemp operations and the banking folks being a little bit leery of that. But now that this guidance is out there, those finance folks should feel more comfortable financing these operations. Um, and finally, it just solidifies that hemp is eligible for the crop insurance program. And we have uh, quite a few farmers. I don't know the exact number. Maybe you do, maybe not. But the, there's hemp being raised in Arkansas this crop season. And there are more farmers who would like to have that opportunity. Do you think that having these new rules will help those farmers maybe make that decision whether this is for them or not? Sure. In, in, in Arkansas right now, we have a state law that allows for these producers to receive a permit from the state plant board to grow hemp. So that's different than this federal interim uh, final rule. Um, and certainly, this signal from the federal government that they are going to move forward with the 2018 provision, that is a strong signal to producers that this crop, 
this crop is here and it will be available for producers to grow and sell. So uh, starting next year, 2020, with these regulations, maybe we'll see this become an even more important part of the ag economy in Arkansas and more people getting into this business. Absolutely. Particularly as we, as more research um, is derived on the uses for hemp. You know, as I mentioned earlier, CBD is the hot, you know, the hot ticket item right now, but we don't know what it could be used for as a feed, um, bedding, uh, paper, I mean, all these other purposes that hemp could play a role in, those are still being uh, derived. So this is definitely an exciting time for ag and an exciting time for folks to diversify their operations. If people want to uh, find out more information, is there a place that you could direct them where they could learn more about the new regulations? Absolutely. Um, American Farm Bureau has great resources in addition to U.S. Department of Agriculture's Ag Marketing Service, AMS. They have a great hemp website that went live this week that has links to this interim final rule as well as the other guidance documents to answer any additional questions. Very good. Thank you for taking time to talk to us today, Jessica, and uh, let's hope we see some new things happening in Arkansas next year as a result of this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with more interviews and news about Arkansas agriculture.